Are you ready to experience something extraordinary? Cultural gems in Croatia, ancient temples in Asia, art in Italy. We'll take care of everything. Flights, accommodation, excursions, local guides and all that planning. Travel department. Let's see more. Well, hello there and welcome to another Senior Times podcast with me, Mairead Robinson. As many of my listeners will know, I love talking to people about their lives, their ideas, their expertise, their achievements. But most of all, I love the human stories and people who will share their life experiences with you. And I have to say that I find women are so much better at opening up than men. And so I'm starting a women talking series, woman to woman, where I'll chat to other women about things that really matter. I've no doubt that you, as well as me, will find our conversations fascinating. And so today I have the privilege of talking to, or rather listening to, a very brave woman whose search for her truth will touch many of you. Her story is both heartbreaking and heartwarming. Ona, thank you so much for joining me today. Just thank to you give for having you me. a little background. Um, back in the 60s and 70s, thousands of students from African countries were studying at Irish universities. And some had children outside marriage who were then placed in one of Ireland's notorious mother and baby homes. Today, these children, now adults, are searching for their families. Ona, you were born in St. Patrick's mother and baby home in the 60s. Will we start from there? Yeah, we can. I was born in, uh, well, first of all, thanks for having me. <laughs> Um, I was born in 1968 in St. Pat's on the Navin Road to an Irish mother and an African father. He came here to study uh, medicine at the Royal College of Surgeons and they had a brief um, affair or, and I was born. And I was uh, born into St. Pat's and I was adopted at three months old. Uh, my parents, my adopted parents took me down to East Cork um, where they had already had four boys. So I had four brothers. And that's where I lived until the age of 19, I'd say. And what yes. was it like, Ona, um, growing up in East Cork? Um, well, try and picture this, if you can. 1970 or 1968, 69, Ireland already did not have a lot of black people, only foreign students. And they didn't have a lot of mixed race children. And I was, my adoption was an interracial uh, adoption. So I was the only black person, person of color in the house. So whenever we went out, it was quite obvious. Well, people noticed me, people stared a lot at me. Um, it wasn't always pleasant. Uh, well, it wasn't pleasant at all, but that's the way it was. That was my life. Wherever I went, I got stared at. I stood out. Um, people touched my hair. People touched my skin without asking. They just came up and did whatever they had to do to check, to see what this person was, you know? So yeah. no, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And um, I suppose I didn't have the vocabulary to express myself. You know, I knew, I can't say I knew there was something wrong, but there were, it was, it was just, um, I didn't like going into a room on my own. I didn't like meeting children because people stared or they, they made me feel uncomfortable. 
I can imagine. I have this vision of a, of a lonely little girl and people asking her, where are you from? And her wondering, where am I from? That was a, that was a question I got asked on a daily basis. Um, you know, I was made to feel, even though I was born in Dublin and raised in Ireland and knew the Irish traditions and the Irish language and the way of the Irish, I was always considered other than or from somewhere else. So you got asked on a daily basis, where are you from? And you're like, uh, wherever you were from, from Cork. And yeah, yeah, yeah. But where are you really from? Like, because you, yeah. you don't look Irish. And you're like, yeah, but I, I am. So I didn't have any answers. No one ever told me. I did ask my mother once, but she she didn't know much at the hospital. She was told that uh, my mother couldn't afford to keep me and that my father was African. He was from East Afri Africa when it turns out that he was really from West Africa. When I, when I went on my search, which is, yeah, I went on my search, which is why I'm talking to you today, because I got to the bottom of it. And I'm just back from Nigeria, which was where he was from. Which I think that's wonderful. Um, right, that's the end of the story. Let's go back through it again. As I say, this little girl growing up in East Cork, the only little brown girl in town, it must have been very hard. It must have been it hard. Was. And children yeah. can be very cruel. They can. <laughs> We've changed a lot in Ireland, although children can still be cruel. But um, certainly back in the in the 60s, 70s, um, it must have been very, very difficult. And with people asking you all the time, where are you from? That was what you were determined to find out. That was the question. Oh, definitely. I knew as soon as I was 18, I was gone. And I did. As soon as I, I turned 18, a bit, little bit afterwards, I fled to London. I wanted to go where there were other people that looked like me. I didn't want to be stared at for the rest of my life. Of I didn't course. want to, I just wanted to disappear into multicultural London. And that's what I did, you know. And about two years after that, I went in search of my mother, my biological mother. And I found her pretty quickly. I just wrote to the Adoption Society, I think it was St. Louise's in Dublin. And they had all the information there for me because she had tried to find me before but she couldn't because she didn't have a right I had to go looking for her oh I so see when, yeah so when I when I did that I f found her pretty quickly and was she living in London as well at that time no she was living in Leeds I think um she had left Dublin pretty quickly afterwards after she had me and uh, she moved to England so when I contacted her we we met up in Leeds she as was based in the UK anyway. So she was based in the UK, yeah. So that was um that was uh, that was something I had to do obviously, so I did. Um and uh, I think well first of all I like to say I didn't go searching for my mother because I didn't have a good upbringing from my parents. Uh I just want to make that clear, you know, just you just grew up with a feeling of not belonging. Yes. Having spoken to a lot of adoptees in the past few years, it's just kind of a normal feeling. You know, it doesn't matter how you're treated at home. There's always that feeling of not belonging or not being like everyone else. And you're growing up, you know, with your brothers and people saying, oh, you're the image of your dad or you're the image of your grandmother. And I never got that, <laughs> you know. Um, so, yes, I met my mother and we had um, conversations. And then shortly afterwards, I traveled. I was traveling backpacking in the Caribbean with my then boyfriend who's now my husband and we lost contact for a few years but when I met her um she didn't have much information on my father uh because like I said before it was a brief 
um, relationship. So all she had was a nickname and that he came from Biafra and that he studied at the Royal College of Surgeons. And that's all I had to go on, which wasn't very much. Um, I didn't know where to begin. I did ask around. I did ask. Um, I wrote to the Medical Society. I contacted the Royal College of Surgeons, but I really couldn't do anything because I didn't have anything to go on. Sponsored by Expressway. With My Expressway, free travel pass holders can reserve their seats online at expressway.ie or at our ticket machines in stations. Are you interested in trying a new smartphone but still a little unsure? Do you want a phone that offers larger icons with louder sound and an interface that has technology designed for seniors? Well, why not choose from the Doro range by simply visiting doro.ie? Doro. Make friends with innovation. Roll on several years later, um, I'm sitting in my sitting room watching the Late Late Show. And I see this lady on the TV, Rosemary Dasser, and she was a woman of color. And she, well, first of all, it was a bit of a shock because you, you didn't really see black people on, on, in RT uh, very often. So she grabbed my attention and I sat down and I listened to her story. And she was telling the story of how she was brought up in a, um, a mother and baby home and then an institution. And I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe her story because here was another woman like me. Because as you can imagine, I thought I was the only one. Because yeah. I didn't see anybody like me. There was nobody. I mean, I grew up in a small town in East Cork. Now, I, I used to go, when I used to go to the city, you'd see doctors and, and that. But they were foreigners, if you know what I mean. Yes. There was nobody in Ireland that looked like me with an Irish accent. So when I saw this woman telling her story, I just couldn't believe it. I broke down and cried because I just thought, oh, my God, it was like a validation. It, you know, she was having the same feelings that I had of, of not being at home or not being wanted or comments that people would make, go back to where you come from and stuff yes. like that. I mean, go back where? Yeah. Where am I supposed to go? <laughs> this is my home. And, and you'd end up in having arguments with people. But I'm Irish. No, you're not. You can't be. I am. Do you want to see my birth certificate? But so we were all looking for answers. And she had, um, she was telling her sad story because she spent 18 years in an institution. I was one of the lucky ones. I, I was adopted. But she spoke about her experiences and how difficult it was because we all know now about the abuse that went on in these homes, uh, um, these un unwanted kids, children. I did see, I did listen to a video of her chatting to Ryan Tropedy and it was pretty horrific, the treatment. It was of, horrific. Of, of, it was. of mixed race babies. It was just appalling. But not only you had the mixed race babies and you had the physically handicapped and the mentally handicapped, they were all put into a reject room. I mean, can you imagine? The nuns, the Isn't holy nuns. Terrible? The holy nuns had decided that nobody would want these babies. Oh, and dear. even though some of them were fostered and could have been adopted, like my good friend Conrad Bryan, the nuns had decided that, no, he was better off where he was, you know, so it's disgusting. But that's a, that's a topic for another day. But I saw this lady and she spoke about her experiences and how she had found her father. So, of course, I wrote down um, the names and the contacts and got on to a first thing on the Saturday morning and we struck up a conversation. 
So she put me in contact with a professor, Ebon Joseph, in uh, Trinity. And we had a conversation. And I actually went up to the Royal College of Surgeons one day. Um, and we went through old catalogs, old yearbooks of African students trying to find my father. How desperate was that? I had no name. I was just looking at pictures and hoping for some spiritual guidance to tell me which one it was. But of course, we couldn't. We had no idea what we were looking for because we didn't even, we knew it was by Afro, but we didn't really know um, much other. So from there, she said to me, I think you should contact Conrad Bryan. Uh, because Conrad is very much involved in AMRI, which is the Association of Mixed Race Irish, of which Rosemary was a part of. And he had found his father in South Africa. Um, so we got in contact. We got Zooming. This was during COVID lockdown. This is when it all started. So well over three years ago, and we started talking and he told me how he went about it. And I told him the little information, the little information I thought I had. But it turns out it was enough. So he went through his files and his contacts because he had contacts. And he came back to me within a few weeks with a name. I couldn't believe it. He couldn't because he gave me a list of all the Africans that were in Dublin. First of all, I was surprised that there were so many. And then with the name I'd given him, what I thought was a nickname was actually um, not a nickname at all. It was his shortening of his real name. And the fact that he came from from Biafra uh, was huge because I don't know if you remember, but the Biafran war was happening between 67 and 70, I believe. And for him to say he was from Biafra was a big statement because because of the civil war, people didn't go abroad and say they were Biafran. They would they say, say they were Nigerian. They the Nigerian, of course, the, the, yeah. The buyer from war was a civil war but in Nigeria. By, by, tracing, by tracing him with uh, Conrad's help um, and the fact that he had put his name down as from Biafra, um, you realised that he had married an Irish woman. And had yes, well, we, we found him. We found him. We found his name and we got confirmation from uh, the Royal College of Surgeons. Yeah. They didn't give me a name, but everything was leading to this man. Um, so we found out then that he was married, that he'd married uh, an Irish lady and uh, moved to London. And then he went to Canada to do his local um, work. I think that's what you call it. Um, and you were able so, to contact the, You were able to contact so we, we Googled, we Googled him and Googled, Googled. And we couldn't find him because we tried Canada because a lot of them, a lot of these doctors, when they qualify, they went to Canada or the United States. So we, we checked all the records in the United States and in Canada to no luck, to no luck. So we decided to contact his wife because that's, we had no, there was no other route really. And we wrote a letter to his wife, um, which wasn't uh, very well appreciated, but we had to do something. We had to, you know, I couldn't just. When, when you say it wasn't appreciated, his family, his wife and children, they weren't pleased to hear from him. Well, they, did, they didn't know. They didn't believe us. Um, they didn't believe us. Yeah, they didn't believe us. So we spent a couple of emails back and forth trying to convince them of who I was and how I was his daughter. And, um, and then we kind of started a dialogue, mm. you know. But um, I could see that they weren't willing to help 
um, with my search. So I went on social media and I found a link. I found a conversation between um, some of them and it linked back to the village in Nigeria, where my father was from. So I contacted that person and explained who I was. And she passed me on to her mother, who is an elder in the village or in the clan, in my father's family clan. And I explained that who I was, who I thought I was, and that I thought this man was my father, who would have been her uncle. And she believed me. But you actually did, um, you actually found a cousin and did a DNA test. So you were yes, able to well, prove exactly thing. your she, family. She, yes, she believed me. And she basically said, welcome to the family. And I okay. said, thank you very much, but can we do a DNA test? <laughs> I just wanted to be 100% sure. And she said, okay, well, I need to speak to my brothers and um, see, if there's some, if, see what they say, see if somebody will uh, participate. So um, she did that. She had uh, video conferences with her brothers who are all over the world. And she came back to me the same day. I thought it was going to take a while. She came back to me the same day and said, okay, my brother in London is willing to do the DNA test. Yes. So he did. He did the DNA test. And it was the longest six weeks of my life. Yes. Because all this time I'm thinking, oh, my God, I hope I didn't, you know, I hope I'm, I didn't make a mistake. Because some people were very upset about it. But I, you know, you know, you go through this thing and you're thinking, oh, my God, if this yes, is have I done, Have I done the right thing? Yeah. Have I done the right thing? So the results came back and it was a match. Yeah. He was my first cousin. So it was official. This man was my father. So um, that was huge. You know, it was huge. It didn't really hit me at first because I was just gobsmacked, really. My husband was all emotional and I was like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. we actually got there in the end. You yes. Know? So, yeah, so that's how it started. And um, that happened just under three years ago. And then, of course, I wanted to go, but it was um, COVID. And so, of course, it took us about two years. Of course, you couldn't travel with COVID. I couldn't travel and all the rest of it. And it was expensive when it did open up to travel. And I was getting impatient and I was supposed to go Christmas. Last Christmas, I had a wedding invitation to go and I wanted to go, but the prices were just ridiculous. And then we were supposed to go in October this year. It was going to be official. We're going in October this year. My husband wanted to come with me. So I contacted my um, cousin in Nigeria and she said to me that she was going to Canada for six months to visit her daughter. So she wasn't sure if she was going to go to, she'd be there. And then I said, what about Easter? And then Easter didn't suit my husband or after Easter. So I just said, well, I'm going on my own. Mm. And that was it. So I went on my own. Everyone's looking at me. Are you mad going to Nigeria on your own? Because poor Nigeria gets a bad rap for kidnapping and killings and all the rest of it. But I just felt in my gut that I'd be fine. You know, they were coming to get me. Um, They knew I was a bit weary but they were coming to get me and being picked up and dropped off and everything. So I took off. I just went to the local travel agent, booked my ticket, and I said, ciao, I'm going to, to Nigeria. i see you when I get back. And I did. Uh, and I'm not long back. Yeah, I know you're only back a few weeks, but um, you had a wonderful time over there, didn't you? They I had a wonderful time. I couldn't, I couldn't believe 
the welcome I got. It, it, just, it just strikes me um, as so different that they were so warm and welcoming and embracing you as, as your father's eldest child. And, and they had a party for you and, and introduced you to all sorts of relations and friends, told you stories about your dad. Whereas the search with your birth mother and with, um, with the family here in Ireland was very, very difficult. Very different, very different. Um, now, it could be a cultural thing. The Africans love family. They love yes. children. And, and the more, the merrier. Yes. Uh, whether it's uh, the same couple or not, a, a child of, of the family is a child. Whereas in Ireland, um, as you probably know, it's, it's, it's not a good thing. You know, uh, if you have a child out of marriage, it's hush hush and brush it under the carpet and exactly all that kind of stuff. But so, yeah, I did have a bit of um, I did have a bit of a not a smooth ride with um, his his family, his children and family. But I realize now at the time it was very hurtful, but I realize now that they were just putting their emotional baggage on me, you know, and that wasn't going to stop me. You know, uh, I found a back door in. I thought I needed them to get what I wanted, but I didn't because I wasn't giving up. You know, I am. Uh, I just went around the back. Yeah, and I, and I, I, you know, I found that contact in Nigeria, and I said, everyone said, don't do that now, and I just thought, no, but what have I got to lose? I knew I wasn't going to be helped, yeah. um, so I just thought, look, what have I got to lose? nothing so i contacted them and i swear i couldn't believe how they she she embraced me on the phone she didn't want any proof she saw a photograph of me i made a video seven years ago about growing up and being irish uh growing up uh, as a black person in ireland um, it was just a project somebody was doing and i did it and somehow they got word of it so it got passed around among their family and they saw straight away the resemblance there was no question. And that's you know, even I, before the DNA test proved This it. was before the DNA test. They just saw my father's face or the family resemblance. And there was no question because she even said to me, you don't have to do a DNA test. And I said, no, I want to do the DNA test. Yes. I want to be 100% sure of course. that it is, I am who I say I am. Because I don't want to down in five, six years time, find out that, oops, I you look like, you know, I, I yeah. wanted to be sure. I think it's I think it's very sad that that your father had passed away that you never actually got to meet him but I'm sure you feel very proud of him because you had told me that um he le he left Canada and went back to Biafra and opened a hospital you know to help yes. the country after the war like he obviously did a lot of good He was he, I mean he was um a traditionalist he he believed in his country like I said he had the audacity to say he was from Biafra Yes uh, when he left so when the war broke out, um, he was in Canada for a while. He went back. He went back to help his people. Yes. Set up a clinic to help people during the war, after the war. Um, so, I mean, that's to be commended. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, unfortunately, he died before I got to him. Um, but, you know, his family are there. His family threw me a well, party. They're your family now too, aren't they? They're my family. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm part of the family. They've made it clear I'm part of the family. They're, they're, they were saddened to think that it took so long, you know. Yeah. But as they said, it took a long time, but you're here now and you're here to stay. And we love you to death, you know. So they threw me a party and I marched up the town and danced up the town. That's what they do. And... Uh, <laughs> 
danced around me. It must have been wonderful for you to um, to really feel that you belong and that you're loved and wanted because your relationship with your birth mother hasn't really been smooth, has it? No, well, it hasn't. Um, It's quite a common thing in adoptees because, why? Because, I don't know, because, you know, sometimes you don't have the same um, character. Yeah. You know, I um, was very outspoken as a child. Uh, I was told I was cheeky or I was bold. But in fact, that's all part of being a Nigerian. Nigerians are very outspoken. Yes. And they tell and they tell the truth. Yes. And Irish people don't always tell the truth. Yes. In front of you anyway. They'll talk about you behind your back, but they don't tell you the truth face to face. And I was always in trouble for telling it how it was. But now I realize that's part of who I am. Yes. You know, I've been to Nigeria now and I've spoken to many Nigerians and they'd shock you with the stuff they come out with. <laughs> you know what I mean? But that's who they are. Yeah. That's the way they are. They, the only time they lie is when they're scamming you. Yeah. But they tell the truth. They, they, you know, and not in a nasty way. Um, just they, 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 they tell you, you know. And uh, this didn't always go down well in my family, you know. And... And I thought there was, you know, sometimes you think there's something wrong with you because you're not supposed to be like that. I wasn't like them, obviously, because I was adopted. Yes. You know? But I yeah. thought there was something wrong with me. It's just that, I, you know, I wasn't of the same blood. I wasn't in the same family. So now I realize, well, of course, I'm not like ye. I'm not ye, you know, and I'm, <laughs> I'm not I'm not dissing them or anything. But it took me a while to realize that. That I'm not like that. That we weren't the same, or we didn't think the same, uh, because obviously but you've I, completely you embraced your 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 Nigerian heritage, basically. Oh, it was so important for me to find yeah. out. You know, I mean, it was important for me to find my mother, but it was especially important for me to find my African roots because that's what people saw when they saw me. Of course, you of know, course. they didn't. If I wasn't uh, black, they wouldn't. People, no one would know I was adopted. Yes, of course. But because I was, I stood out. So I was constantly answering questions or trying to not even answering questions because I didn't have an answer. Sure, you know, and people would say where you're from, and I'd say Cork and blah blah blah, and and. And I wouldn't have an answer. Um, so I had to find that answer. And I did find that answer. And it was it's just amazing how knowing your history. Of course. And know, knowing where where you come from and the similarities be, between me and, and the people I met recently. It was just a, just a big spiritual journey of importance, you know. It was just so significant. And I feel a weight has been lifted. Now I'm waiting for someone to ask me where I'm from. Ask me. Can't wait to tell them. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. And again, as I think of this little girl in East Cork years ago, now she's got her answer. I think that's wonderful. I must say I really admire your your courage, your tenacity. It was, I imagine, quite a lonely journey a lot of the time and a difficult enough journey. But it now, was, it, now I think yeah. you, you got you got your just desserts. You know who you are. I do, but it wasn't wasn't a smooth journey. It wasn't an easy journey. It was an emotional journey, but it had to be done. You know, it has to be done. And I know there are a lot of people out there um, my age or even older and a lot older that are only just discovering, who have only just got their files back from Tusla, that they have been waiting years and years and years to get. And now we're finally getting them back 
and a lot of the information is redacted. And there are people out there that want to know where they're from or, or their history, their heritage, if there are any illnesses in the family. And I just think, just go and do it. Is so, that so going to be your, easy? Your message would be to people, go and do it now. Go and do it now as soon as you can yes like like i said it's not it's not always easy but it's such um it's such a thrill it's such um it's just an amazing thing to do to find out really really i suppose and and finally it's it's your birthright it's who you are it's it's everybody's yeah, yeah it's everybody's right to know where they're from it's not up to the government it's not up to family of the, the the man or the woman involved, it's none of their business. We all have a right to know where we're from. And exactly. you you will get people that will stand in your way, but don't let that deter you. You know, these and and you can take it personally sometimes. Um but believe me, it's not personal. It's just them putting their personal issues on you. So of you course. need to be strong. You need to be strong. Um you cer- you certainly are strong, Una, and it's a it's a, a privilege to speak to you, and I'm sure you're an inspiration to many people. I'm sorry we haven't got more time, but I think your story is very inspiring, and uh, I'm so thrilled that it had a happy ending, and you've embraced your um, your family, your Nigerian family. The circle is complete. Like you said, it's a happy ending, but it's not an ending. It's just the beginning. Oh, so well said. I encourage everyone to to give it a go. Excellent. Thank Thanks you so for much. Having me. Take care. Bye bye. Phone poke and newawet, on will knappy no fum nis orjawet, nis eskalehusaj, faker na phone in takatal gwin, on cho, egg daro, on von klishte is dani, gidi gohan la hai glina, agus taskina, ta rod egen, gogachtina, ta nismo olis, egg, daro, dot com.